You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God the Father, we praise you. God the Son, we praise you. God the Spirit, we praise you. Amen. Well, friends, there are some truths that are so great that we have nothing to do with them, but they have everything to do with us. Did you know that the sun is 300,000 times heavier than the earth? And because of its sheer mass, the sun keeps all of the planets in orbit. Without the sun at its center, our entire solar system would collapse. So let me ask, what would happen if one day the sun stopped shining? What would happen one day if the sun just disappeared? Well, it would take about eight and a half minutes before eternal night would fall on our earth. Plants would be unable to photosynthesize and our ecosystem would collapse. And with the gravitational pull of the sun now gone, well, the earth would be untethered from a star and it would drift away, forever lost in space. Now, you and I, we can have no impact on the earth's orbit around the sun. Nothing we do can affect that great reality. The sun was there before we lived, and the sun will be there after we die. We have nothing to do with the sun. And yet, the sun has everything to do with us. We might not be able to understand it, let alone explain it like an astronomer, but the sun holds everything in our world together. Our lives depend on it. Our world depends on it. Gosh, without the sun at the center, everything would collapse. Well, friends, I want you to know right up front that the Trinity is the sun around which everything in our world revolves. We might not be able to explain it. We might not be able to understand it super well, but the reality that the one God exists as three persons, that reality upholds everything in our world. Our lives depend on it. Our world depends on it. Gosh, without the Trinity at the center, everything would collapse. You know, even more than the sun itself, the Trinity is a truth so great that we have nothing to do with it. But I'll tell you what, it has everything to do with us. Now, that might surprise some of you. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here with us today. And you might have heard Christians talk about this thing called the Trinity. And you might think to yourself, that makes no sense at all. How can one plus one plus one equal one? But let me level with you for a moment. Uh, Even many of us Christians have a pretty awkward relationship when it comes to the Trinity. The truth is, we just don't know what to do with it. Some of us think like this. Well, Adam, the the Trinity is a mystery. Uh, We can't ever understand it. Uh, So let's just accept it and keep on loving Jesus. Or we think, well, the Trinity is just kind of irrelevant, isn't it? Uh, I love what one author writes. Quote, For many Christians, 
The Trinity has become something akin to their appendix. It's there, but they're not quite sure what its function is. They get by in life without it doing very much. And if they had to have it removed, they wouldn't be too distressed. But friends, I want us to know that the Trinity isn't like our appendix. No, it's much more like our heart. We might not be able to explain it like a cardiologist, but without it, we would not last a second. Because the Trinity is the doctrine which answers that most fundamental question. Who is God? Who is God? You see, if we get the Trinity wrong, we get God wrong. If we don't know the Trinity, we don't know God. Trinity is the Christian name for God. And here it is. The one God who exists as three persons in eternal, selfless love. If you're a note-taking person, which I hope you all are, that's the line to write down. And that's, if you're going to remember anything over this series, it's this line. The one God exists as three persons in eternal, selfless love. And today, we're going to see, we're going to behold our God in all of his beauty. And we're going to see who he is in two great truths. Here they are. Number one, the Lord is one. And number two, the Lord is love. The Lord is one and the Lord is love. Well, point number one, the Lord is one. You know, I actually think Australia is a pretty religious place. I'm not talking about the two in three Aussies who say uh, that they profess some religion, No, I'm actually talking about the one in three Australians who tick the no religion box in the census. Everyone keeps saying, Adam, in Australia, atheism's on the rise. And it is. But think about it for a moment, right? Atheism is just really polytheism in denial. Meaning, I don't believe that there is a God very quickly becomes, well, I believe that anything is a God. But if nothing is God, well, then everything's God. It's open slather. We get to determine who God is. There are as many gods as there are people. You see, the average Aussie doesn't worship a rock or a tree. Oh, no, we worship food, coffee, sport, travel. I mean, we might look a little bit more sophisticated, but the reality is we're just a lot more in denial. We're not that different from those ancient cultures which worshipped a rock or a tree. We've just picked a better-looking rock and a better-looking tree. Well, just like our world today, the ancient Near East was full of false gods. And into that world, the Bible makes this astonishing claim. There is only one God. There is only one God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find what Jews call the Shema, which means listen. And in just 16 Hebrew words, the Shema answers that fundamental question, who is God? If you're not a Christian, maybe you're here today and that's exactly your question. Who is God? And you'll be glad to know that the Bible gives you a very clear answer. It's right there. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone. 
You see, the Shema tells us firstly that Yahweh is the only God, and secondly, as we'll see, that Yahweh is completely God. Yahweh is the only God. Some people say all religions lead to the same God. But, but the Shema says, no, they don't. Yahweh is our God, Yahweh alone. Not Buddha, not Allah, not the 33 million Hindu gods, and not nothing. No, at the heart of our universe is the one and only true God, the God of the Bible. You know, recently one of my non-Christian mates was telling me exactly what he thought about religion. And he kept using this phrase that I think really sums up our culture's attitude towards God. Here it is. This is what he said. You do you. You do you. If it's Christianity, you do you. If Buddhism's your thing, you do you. If it's a secular cause like gender equality or or racial justice, you do you. But the Bible, it, it cuts right through that claim. It says, no, there's only one God. And he's right here in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's God, and then there's everything else. Oh, I love this. For this is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, the God who formed the earth and made it, the one who established it. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? I mean, isn't that pretty much looking at every other religion and belief system in our world and saying, they're all wrong? Some of you might think, pretty ignorant, pretty arrogant, pretty bigoted. Well, friends, let me make this one observation. If you're here and you're looking for God, if you're here and you're asking that question, who is God? My guess is, You kind of want an answer, don't you? If you're asking the question, who is God? And then I come to you and say, you do you. Doesn't really cut it, does it? I mean, I get it. It might sound harsh to say there is only one God, but it does answer the question. It says you don't need to look anywhere else. You can finally stop searching. If you're searching for God, Here he is, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yahweh is the only God. And secondly, Yahweh is completely God. You see, when we say the Lord is one, we also mean that God is whole. He's singular, he's he's indivisible. There's an integrity to this God. You, You can't split him in parts or play him off against himself. I mean, thank God. That is nothing like us. Thank God that he doesn't change his mind from one moment to another. Thank God that he's not fickle, double-minded or unreliable. No, God is the same yesterday, today and forever. The eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind for he is not a man who changes his mind. I mean, what a radically different God from the false gods of our world. 
I mean, we worship money, which we lose as quickly as we gain. We, we worship sex, which satisfies us in one moment, but fills us leaving empty in the next. We worship friends who let us down, marriages which disappoint, bosses who change their plans at our expense. But not so the God of the Bible. No, friends, the one true God is whole, singular, indivisible, and perfectly dependable. Yahweh is the only God. Yahweh is completely God. And that means one thing, that you and I, everyone in this world, must only and completely love him. That's why right after the Shema comes this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. Do you see? You and I, we're called to love the one God with one love. To love the indivisible God with an indivisible love. All the love from all of us for all of him. It's beautiful. Because the God of the Bible is the one and only God, he alone deserves all our love, all our devotion, and all our worship. You see, friends, there's only one sun around which all the planets orbit, and there's only one God to whom all our love must be directed. There are not two suns to gravitationally divide our earth, and there are not two gods to spiritually divide our love. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Have you realized so often we ask ourselves and we ask each other, do I love God first in my life? Do I love him more than anything else? It's a good question to ask. But it's not the right question. It's not the best question. You see, if I'm asking, do I love God more than anything else? What does it suggest? It suggests that, well, I can worship God most while still worshiping other lesser gods. No, God is in a league of his own. That the love, the devotion, the worship that we have for him, no, that belongs to him and him alone. We don't love God most. No, we love him alone. And then our love for everyone else, well, that just flows out of the source of love for the only one who is truly worthy of it. We don't love God most. We love him alone. You know, in just under a month, Jeremy and Ruth are going to celebrate their first wedding anniversary. It's all pretty exciting, I know. And I know that Jeremy loves Ruth more than anything or anyone else. But it's more than that, isn't it? No, it's the quality of his love for Ruth that is totally different. The the love that Jeremy has for Ruth, it's qualitatively. It is categorically different from the love that he has for me. You see, if I ask, do I love God more than anyone else? as in more than the lesser gods in my life. It's almost like asking Jeremy, hey, mate, do you love Ruth more than the other wives in your life? 
No, no, the love that we have for God is, is qualitatively different. It's a love that is fit for him and him alone. God doesn't say, love your husband and wife with all your soul, with all your heart and with all your strength. Because that love belongs to him and him alone. And he will have no rival, not even your spouse. You see, friends, the question for us today is not, do you love God most? The question is, do you love him alone? Do you love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength? Do you have one love for the one God? The Lord is one. The Lord is one. Point number two, the Lord is love. The Lord is love. In 2015, uh, Justin Bieber uh, wrote a song called Love Yourself. Some of you might know it, and the song goes something like this. I'm not going to sing it. The song goes something like this. Because if you like the way you look that much, oh, baby, you should go and love yourself. Now, from everything that I can tell from the media, it uh, looks like JB's a brother in Christ, so call me a believer. But... Think about that line, right? Oh, baby, you should go and love yourself. Well, that isn't love. That's narcissism. The the idea of self-love, no, that's a contradiction in terms. In 1 Corinthians Corinthians 13, uh, the Apostle Paul writes that love is not self-seeking. Love is necessarily other person-centered. So, If we're going to now say, well, the Lord is love, then we have to say that within God himself, there's an other person-centeredness about him. Otherwise, he just can't be love, can he? I love how the way C.S. Lewis puts it in mere Christianity. The words, God is love, have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something one person has for another person. If God was a single person, then before the world was made, he was not love. Do you see what Lewis is saying? Without more than one person within the one God, it's all just narcissism. No, the Lord is one. But but when we double-click on him, when we peer into his inner life, we find that he exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons in a fellowship of eternal, selfless love. Now, I get it. At this point, your brains are just starting to hurt, right? Because we ask ourselves, how can God be one, but also three? And then here's where it all goes wrong, right? We all resort to that deadly phrase, the Trinity is like. So we say, uh, the Trinity is like uh, ice, water, and vapor. Or the Trinity is like an eggshell, uh, an egg white, and an egg yolk. Or the Trinity is like someone who's a father, a brother, and a son. Uh, Pro tip, uh, if your sentence starts with the words, uh, the creator of the universe is like an egg, That's probably a clue that this isn't going to end well. If we start our sentence with, the Trinity is like, 
we've already made the biggest mistake. There is no analogy fit for our God. We've got everything the wrong way around. You see, we don't understand God in light of us. We understand ourselves in light of God. The Trinity is totally unlike us because God is unlike us. You see, if you were to double-click on me and explore my inner life, don't expect to find much complexity. There's really not much going on. But God being God, no, we would expect to find complexity within him, wouldn't we? We would expect him to be totally unlike us. So what do we find when we double-click on the one God? We find two realities. Firstly, the one God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. And secondly, those three persons live in a fellowship of eternal selfless love. Three persons in eternal perfect love. Just look with me at 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Now, I want you to notice, think hard, right? Look at what Paul says. For us... There is one God the Father. All things are from him and we exist for him. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ. All things are through him and we exist through him. Did you catch it? There is one God the Father. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ. One God Lord. Does that ring any bells? The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Can you see what Paul is doing? He's taking the Shema, the oneness of God. He's double-clicking on it as he's including Jesus within it. Now look at what he does in Ephesians chapter 4. Listen carefully. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, that is Jesus. One faith, one baptism, and there we have it again, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. You see, this time is he's taking the Shema yet again, that the oneness of God, he's zooming in and he's showing us that within this God, there are three persons, Father, the Lord, and the Spirit. Now, let me be very clear, right? When we say there are three persons within the one God, we're not saying that God is like Gollum from Lord of the Rings, right? Gollum versus Smeagol. Two personalities with their own desires and their own wills in constant conflict. It's not what we're talking about. God is not schizophrenic. God does not have multiple personality disorder. No, listen very carefully. Within God, There are not three independent beings with their own wills. There are not three independent beings with their own wills. There are three interdependent beings with one will and one being. Three interdependent persons with one will and one being. Perfectly united, perfectly one, in perfect relationship with one another. You see, within the one God, there are three persons in eternal, perfect love. 
I wonder if you've ever thought about God like that. You know, so many of us, we're on the lookout for perfect love, aren't we? And yet none of us can quite seem to find it. So what do we do? We, we hit the dating apps. We might even find the right guy or girl. We might even get married. And yet after all of that, some of us still feel dissatisfied. And we keep asking that question, where can I find a pure and a perfect love that will never run dry? Right here. Right here. Within God himself. Because God himself is love. Within God himself, the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And the Spirit binds that love. God is the one place, the one being where we can find a pure and perfect love. Do you remember that question? Who is God? Well, now we've got this question. Where is love? Well, who is God and where is love lead us to exactly the same point? The God of the Bible. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And the Spirit binds that love. I want you to see just how much God the Father loves his Son. In John 5.20, for, for the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. In verse 22, the Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Why? So that all people may honour the Son, just as they honour the Father. Friends, can you hear the closeness, the intimacy between the Father and the Son? Everything the Father does is out of a perfect love for His Son. He does it all so that we might honour His Son. You know, there are those moments in history, moments in your life where you wonder to yourself, why does God do that? Why does God do anything? What's God's big motivation? Well, here it is. If you want to know why God does anything in this world at all, it's out of love for his son. In Colossians 1, the father loves the son so much that he creates this world for him. He loves his son so much that he saves the church for him. The gospel is the story of the father's love for his son. And that divine love upholds every moment, every place, every person, and absolutely everything in existence. I want you to hear what Andrew Moody writes. Quote, the fundamental reality in heaven and earth is the love that God the Father has for his Son. You and I and everyone and everything else exists because God loves his Son and wants others to know, love and glorify him too. Friends, the greatest love in this world is not even the son's love for his church. It's the father's love for his son. 
and, is, and the Spirit then, then binds that love together between the Father and the Son. In Galatians 4, we say that it's the Holy Spirit who defines that perfect relationship of perfect love between the Father and the Son. Do you see how beautiful it is? Within the one God, there is this relationship of perfect, eternal, selfless love, and it needs no one else, and it needs nothing else. I don't know about you, but I've noticed something recently. I've noticed that when we say, I love you, what we really mean is, I need you. And that's not a healthy thing. So so a man says to his wife, I love you. But what he's really saying is, I can't live without you. Again, not a good thing. A woman says to her husband, I love you. But what she really means is, please don't leave me. You know, for so many of us, love has become a need, hasn't it? And that's what we're feeling in isolation, our need for love and intimacy. Just imagine for a moment, a young man is planning on moving out of home, but he's afraid to move out of home because his whole life, his mum has made him feel like the glue of her marriage. This young man, he constantly feels like he's trying to keep his marriage his parents' marriage together, as if their marriage all depends on him. It's a pretty heavy burden to bear. And so when he's thinking of moving out, his mum comes along and says, son, I love you. But what she really means is, son, if you move out, it will just be your father and me, and I don't know that I can do it. Please stay. It's tragic, isn't it? I mean, every kid should be able, right? Every kid should be able to rest in their parents' love for one another. I mean, there's a freedom in knowing that your mum and dad love each other with or without you. The love between the mother and father should be the safest place for a child to be. Well, friends, here's the greatest news you're going to hear today, and it's a bit counterintuitive. God doesn't need our love. God doesn't depend on our love. God is perfectly happy within himself. So that means you and I can rest in his perfect love. The love between the Father and the Son, that's the safest place for us to be. You know, there's a song that says, You didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Rubbish. When God says, I love you, he doesn't mean I need you. No, he's perfectly happy within within himself. He's perfectly happy with the love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. He doesn't need us. He doesn't depend on us. And yet, he freely chooses to love us. When God says, I love you, he really means, I love you. To quote Susanna Wesley, he loved us because he loved us. It's beautiful, isn't it? God's love doesn't depend on you. And it doesn't depend on me. 
You and I have nothing to do with the love of God. But that love has everything to do with us. Because in the gospel, this is what God does. God invites you and me to be included in that eternal selfless love. He invites us to share in that font of divine love that will never run dry and never run out. In the gospel, God is inviting you and me to join his inner life, to swim in an eternity of pure and perfect love. Just think about that. Love divine or love's excelling. And you and I get to be part of that. You know, when we physically regather, I'm really excited for a number of reasons, but one of them is this. We've got a whole stack of people lined up to get baptized. I can't wait, gonna need a lot of water. And when I pour the water over you, I'm gonna say these words. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you what that moment symbolizes. It's a picture as the water drenches you, that God is drenching you with his spirit, that God is including you within his love. As you're baptized into the Father, Son, and Spirit, it's a picture that now God is bringing you into his inner life. It's a picture that now God loves you just like he loves his son. There are some truths so great that we have nothing to do with them, but they have everything to do with us. And the greatest truth of all is this. There is one God who exists as three persons in eternal, selfless love. You and I, we have nothing to do with that. God was here before we were born. He will be here after we die. But I'll tell you what, that truth has everything to do with you. Because the one God of pure and perfect love is inviting you into his inner life. He is inviting you to share in his eternal love. Will you accept that invitation? Let me pray. God the Father, we praise you. God the Son, we praise you. God the Spirit, we praise you. Amen.